This is Betsy Jensen, and you are listening to Unstoppable Body and Mind, episode 77, The Pain Habit, interview with Drew Coverdale. In this podcast, we learn to upgrade our brain and understand the power of our thoughts to heal and to create the results we want in our life. Become the person in control of your healing and make peace with your life. Become unstoppable, body and mind. Hello, my loves. Today, I am pleased to bring you an interview I have with Drew Coverdale. He's a physiotherapist, physical therapist, basically in England, and he wrote a book called The Pain Habit, and I'm just going to let you listen in on our conversation. Basically, I found out about you, Drew, through one of my clients. She read your book, and she it really helped her belief. She changed her perspective you know, from one week that I talked to her till the next, she really had a lot of insight from your book. So I, I listened to books. As soon as I started listening to it, it was probably within the first 15 minutes that I really um, loved how you explained things, especially the pain habit as the book is titled. And uh, I thought, I just reached out to you right in that moment and said, I want to have you on my podcast. Well, well, I'm grateful that you have. And I, I suppose in this field, we're always on the lookout, aren't we, for others that are doing similar fields because it can feel a little bit lonely when you're saying strange things to patients and maybe to colleagues. So yeah. I've followed a bit your content and, and some of maybe colleagues we haven't met, but, you know, you can see who's in the field and working. And uh, it's nice to see their take on different messages. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's like we're, I think you said, singing from the same songbook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that. it. Yeah. yeah, I think when uh, when you make a shift, and I, I I don't know your history exactly, but I think you're twenty, 20 plus twenty years as a physical therapist, and you're yeah. the same twenty four, yeah. 24. And it was probably probably about year twenty that I kind of started to understand things a little differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we'd always physio- physiotherapy, physical therapy, it works generally, independent of what exactly that you do. <laughs> I realized it wasn't the techniques I was using often. It was the patient when they're ready to get better and follow a certain protocol and you're involved along the way in the recover. But there was always those subsection of patients that had the similar problems, similar findings. You did the same things and they didn't quite respond. And I used to think it was my fault. Yeah. You know, something I've done. Yeah. Uh, every little period, I thought it was the patient's fault. Yeah. And then neither of those positions are a comfortable position and neither position is true. Right. Everyone's doing the best, but we're looking very singularly at their problem. They have a pain they present to somebody who knows a little bit about pain, but the patient doesn't know what they're complaining of. Yeah. They have a concept of what they're complaining of, but they're only interpreting that pain with what they understand. Yeah. And the person who's listening to that story is only interpreting the pain from what they understand. Now, they might both have lots of information and lots of qualifications, uh, but it isn't about intellect. This is more about intuition. It's more about intuition. And I learned more through intuition and watching other people who are intuitive to realize I could shift my intelligence to one side for a little while because it got it can get in the way of recovery. That is fascinating. So you started learning through your own intuition, shifting your kind of cognitive left brain to the side a little and started treating, like seeing these patients a little differently. 
Yeah, the tipping point was uh, somebody had told me about a talking technique for, ther- for helping someone with pain. It's actually called Old Pain to Go. And it's a guy called Stephen Blake. Old, old Pain, pain to, to, go. to Go. It's a quirky name. Yeah. And I'd heard about it, but it's something that wasn't, it's not in the academic field. It's not in the training regimes that you or I would come across a traditional kind of university and CPD, but I'd heard about it. I thought uh, somebody told me quite, quite enthusiastically that you talked to someone that helped someone with chronic pain and almost turned it off. And I thought, I'm not having that, not accepting it. My ego was, well, I've got all these qualifications and I can't help those people. So I'm not really up for that. I left it. I dismissed it. A few months later, a patient in my clinic waiting room and we were small talking as we waiting to see one of my colleagues mentioned the same person. Uh, and the same, have you heard of this, Drew? It's old pain to go on. I said, mm, no, but uh, if you hear two things from different sides of the universe, you've got to, yeah. you've got to act. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, so that night I booked on the course and went and, and watched this gentleman. He was only about 40 minutes away. And the, the, the room was filled with uh, talking therapists, some kind of mental health nurse counsellors, um, uh, Reiki, uh, a field that's not kind of one I knew much about. Talking yeah. therapy, we talk in physiotherapy, but it's a the starting point is you're looking to do something physical, isn't it? Yeah, that's what a lot of patients expect. I think if you come and if they come yeah. and you start talking to them, and you know start talking about their pain might be from something else. You know, I've had some some patients not like that. You have to yeah. go with your intuition, I think, on that. Yeah. So I, I my part of me said, don't go, don't, don't yeah. be in there. It's not for me. And I watched this yeah. technique. It's a fascinating technique. And uh, someone who had fibromyalgia, kind of, this gent, Stephen Blake did this t- talking technique. It's really quite quick. And she said, my pain's gone. And I, again, I thought, I can't understand how that's possible. And then they brought volunteers into the room and uh, 10 people in the course and maybe eight left with no pain and everybody in the room got an opportunity to have a go. Now it didn't work with me. Now I thought, is it me? Did you have pain to start? No, no, each each participant, each participant had a subject. I see. Yeah, and each participant did this kind of script and this technique and eight people left without pain. I said, what do you mean? What do you mean there's no pain? it's fascinating, really. So I went to watch the same training t- twice, two more times with a couple of other trainers. So you almost triangulate the information. Mm-hmm. And it was delivered by a mental health nurse who who'd, uh, did the same content. And then somebody else, different training, did, delivered the same content. And the results were the same, but it's not backed by any signs or any evidence at the moment. But it was um, from like an NLP hypnotherapy background. Uh. Right, that kind of derivatives, quite short technique, but with no trance. Anyway, it fascinated me. And I came home and I kind of um, thought about it a lot, really, and uh, started using it in clinic when I had nothing to lose. So patients would come with one thing and say, actually, you can help me with my recent ankle injury, but I've got a, ten- a back pain from 10 years ago that you probably won't be able to help me with. So I'd start to say, well, incidentally, there is something... We can have a look at if you're interested. Anyway, this technique started to work. And I thought, how does it work? How does within five minutes turn pain off that's been there like 10 years? Yeah. Crazy, 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 crazy. So I approached uh, Lauren Mosley. You did? Yeah, I, got up in the middle. <laughs> I just wrote an email as nice. a small... As a-
small Sorry. town physio in, 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 in England in a little private practice after 20 years doing yeah. his stuff. And I said, listen, I'm not a pain physio. I said, I'm seeing this thing and it's a bit strange, but I bounced it. I said, I don't know you, or, but I'm telling you what I've seen. And it's weird. And he yeah. emailed me back and he said, it's, um, I get a hundred of these emails a month of, of, of wonder I, cures. He said, the only thing things. You, not just Sorry? old, not just old pain. Anything, yeah, anything. The, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Any of the just the stuff pain turned off. Stuff. Pain turned off. Or try this, and this works, Mister Mosley, and blah blah blah. Yeah. And so he said, really, you'd need a randomized controlled trial. It'll only ever get it's seen as a guru-led thing. It's a bit wacky. It's you know, well, to me, it didn't make much difference either way. I was, I was just kind of come across something. It intrigued yeah. me pass it to someone who maybe knows but I thought why not go for the top and he said I'm sorry really sorry to kind of pour water on your idea after you took the effort to write this email I said to him listen I've just had an email from the almost eminent profession professional in my field I said I'm buzzing I'm buzzing yeah. <laughs> I was like, so I said, I said thank you and, I'm, and yeah. I'm grateful for the information so, yeah. to so I then contacted a local university who I have taught with and yeah. a gentleman called Professor Cormac Ryan. Mm -hmm. He's head of the English, of the UK kind of uh, physiotherapy pain association. So he's another big player. And um, I'd taken some videos of these patients that were getting these results. And I, I contacted him and said, can you have a look at these videos? And uh, he said, yeah, what is it you're doing? I said, I'm just talking to them. He said, what the hell are you saying to them? Yeah. So, you, yeah, you're not like educating them on pain, right? No, you're going. No, no, in no, 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 nothing, nothing. No traditional. Uh, there's a there's a reframe to it. So, okay. it, so, so that technique was fascinating. Anyway, we have gone on to do some research with it, done a pilot study and we're just putting a bid in. It just gone last month for a quarter of a million pounds for a local trust and the university to collaborate on it. Yes. Well, that'll go where it goes. But. Uh, through that process, it fascinated, my, fascinated me why it could work and then why it didn't work. It's fascinating that anyone can change so quick. And it's a bit like an epiphany yeah. where someone's life is so fixed in one direction. Their friend maybe dies of A, B or C. And in that moment, that person says, I'm changing my life. Yeah. And so, so something's happening in that process. But then others, it wouldn't work and they wouldn't be able to kind of... Uh, make those breakthroughs so it fascinated me once how it could work and once how it yeah. couldn't so I recognized it was uh, there's a short game to recovery that's very rare and epiphany like but mm -hmm. fascinating if there's a procedure for it but then there's got to be a, I noticed some people would get in touch six months later and said I can't believe it's gone but I kept on saying what you told me yeah. Uh, talking around it maybe the the kind of broader aspects of pain education things and, and it would go so I recognize there's a behavioral change either the one that's immediate or one that's yeah. kind of gradual and I thought uh what is it is happening with the behaviors of those people so then I looked at um the the, the background to the book I suppose and I, I, I had my own experience of pain that I probably learned a lot from that and it was from that, I almost de-engineered a little bit, or so I think I have, to look at the behaviour science 
the physio science I kind of knew but didn't understand the behavior science neuroscience I was kind of a a well versed in I suppose but we can always learn a little bit more and Mm -hmm. and psychology as well so um I just felt as a physio I was really well positioned to pull in that together and write about it in a way that means that change is possible for persistent pain it doesn't matter how long it takes if you're ready to take the steps then you start taking them and if it changes immediate great which is kind of book curie uh, one conversation all paint to go hypnosis so you're breaking the pattern and what fascinates me about this is that um the pain itself is simply representation of habitual behaviors and they can change in a moment over months or never Right. Okay. And that was so interesting how you had described it as a habit. And so that um, I was interested in having you describe kind of like how you do in your book about how pain is a habit. But I have one question quickly first. Um, In your experience, what percentage would you say are the people, you know, just roughly ballpark? How many people tend to just have that immediate quick transition versus the slower well i suppose you'd have to do a a study on it wouldn't you but anecdotally yeah it's a small uh, sample size i get it i'm just small small sample size yeah in the last year uh so if i've done it a hundred times i'd probably say about five okay five where the pain switches off and it doesn't matter the timeline 20 years it could be get up and be pain free without doing any technique, uh-huh. simply explaining the concept without doing a technique. Okay. As soon, and, no, and I think those patients uh, as a subsection have a belief that they have a structural element that's the defining reason for them to be in pain. And once you shatter that belief, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or you deconstruct it in front of their eyes and say, actually, that degenerate disc exists in lots of people like you know, Betsy, and right. the, the only the only structural reasons for persistent pain is cancer and autoimmune disease and undiagnosed fracture and ongoing infection. And you don't have one of them. Otherwise you've been a long time dead. Yeah. It defines that your pain is driven by a stress response, probably linked to the, around the time you start to develop the pain. And if, and if they say, what you mean, I'm not damaged. I said, well, you are, but you don't need the pain to prove it. (laughs) Amazing. Well, I think that helps because sometimes um, I get from a lot of my clients, like they hear those stories of people that have that rapid transformation and they feel like something's wrong with them. If they're not able to achieve it that quickly, maybe there is something structural that's causing mine because I didn't have that experience. But knowing that it's, you know, even if we just are just highly extrapolating, but like, you know, maybe five percent or one or five out of a hundred it's good to know that it's not like the majority of people 50 percent or more I mean it I didn't even know what to expect from your answer so that helps me yeah yeah and I I think that um the two biggest emotions that stop people fear is a big one so fear is the main one and that goes really quickly the pain can go quick it doesn't mean that there's still not a period of conditioning to be done for that person or the part of the body they've been protecting for so long and for so many years the target of where they want to get to has to be scaled up gradually now the old the alternate emotion and the one that's been intertwined with it a lot is frustration Mm -hmm. now both trigger the stress response 
Yeah, tell me more about fear. frustration too. I've learned a lot about pain and, and yeah. fear, but frustration. Yeah, so see, see uh, the brain is triggering pain in one of four ways. Oh, I see this and explain to patients. So water and food are very two simple uh, categories that the brain will trigger pain if there's a threat to the organism due to the reduction in both of those things. Yeah. So if you or I didn't drink water for the rest of the day, we'd have a series of warnings that would go up mm -hmm. and you eventually have some sort of discomfort, probably a headache, yeah. if that's the association I recall. Uh, think, oh, it's not damage. It's, my brain's got to that point where it's saying any more than this and it's organ failure and death. Yeah. So we really need you to kind of look after yourself in terms yes. of drinking water and we'll turn this off and that's what happens. We don't conceptualize it like conceptualize it like that, but that's what's happening. Right. With food, it's the same scale. You can last longer without food, but it's organ failure and death to mm -hmm. the organism, yeah. and uh, you might feel f f stomach pain. Those associations are pretty easy to understand. Right. The physical element is if you put your hand on something hot, you pull your hand away. You could leave it on as long as you want, and the, the sensation will get much much stronger until it's unbearable and you take your fingers away and you won't have any damage yeah. so there's damage yeah uh, no damage with any of those all protection. protection but culturally what we tend to miss especially in, in the western society especially in the uk system and probably lots of other similar ones is we we miss the regulation of our body that's um, monitoring the stress chemicals mm -hmm. cortisol adrenaline and um it means that if you live in quite a high octane life or a busy life or a stressful life, whether one you enjoy or you don't, you're quite close to the tipping point. I see. Yeah. Your default starting point is busyness. And that might link to the traits from childhood or like traits of the successful things that they bring or the unsuccessful things they bring. It keeps someone quite close to the top. Yeah. So it means that the tipping point for the organism to trigger pain from overload is closer in those people mm -hmm. and anything that's stressful good or bad can trigger it so people will say well i'm not stressed it's just that's their normal but then they're so close to it so when trauma happens in these people and quite often they need a really big down button so if they play hard sorry work hard they've got to play hard uh. if pain comes in in this moment and stops the person doing the things they love Ah. and they believe that pain is something due to something structural, then um, they're frustrated they can't do that thing, or they may fear the thing that's happened to them and it's stopping them doing it. Now, that fear adds to the stress chemicals. Yes. And this point of focus to find how do I get out of this situation means that they have to understand the pain. They have to understand the true meaning of the pain. But if all they get back from that pain is uncertainty, lack of information, and loss of control, they define those three things that define the stress response. Yeah. yeah. As soon as they feel stressed, as they focus on it, it triggers the stress chemicals that drives the pain that they so fear, frustration, anger, resentment, regret. Doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. You'll often find that's the emotion that was present at the time the person started to feel pain. Oh, interesting. Okay. So whichever one was the dominant. Possibly, yeah. yeah. That's the one that was still holding on to. That's the one that might reflect in the yeah. um, 
in how they describe their pain. I'm so frustrated about it because when you explain pain to those patients and their experience, they say, well, I know it's, I know I'm not damaged. I know. And I've done all those things and I'm still not getting better. And I don't know what it is that's keeping me stuck. And I'll say, can you hear you? Can you hear your frustration? Because that's what I'm sensing. Right. Yeah. And sometimes they'll even see that they're frustrated. They'll be frustrated that they're frustrated. Right. right. So, so, yeah. What do you do with them? So you should, the first part of any recovery is awareness. Yeah. So, to shine a light back on them. This isn't yeah. about blame. Remember these behaviors, Betsy, are invisible, mm. invisible to them. And people think invisible, but they are. And if I said to you, I don't know your parents, but there'll be some of your traits and people have said to you, you bet you just like your right. mom, auntie, cousin, sister. And yeah. you say, I am nothing like them. Right. And your friends might look to think, oh my gosh, she doesn't even see it. Right. So we always have these uh, hidden behaviors, but when they've been, uh, personality traits we think they are uh, either genetic or we think we identify them as something we were born with we weren't these are often coping strategies for pushing hard in those early years mm-hmm. we all have our default mechanism for dealing with stress yeah and the crazy um, thing is that it's encoded in childhood as something that takes you towards safety mm-hmm. right? so if you were called names or i was called names as a child by once or a thousand times it doesn't really matter but in that moment we do something to feel better yeah yeah we do something and as we feel better i'll prove it to you i'm not that person you tell them i am i feel temporarily better and a sense of control of the moment now mm-hmm. if in and all of us have had maybe one situation in childhood and if we have happy childhood then that's great but um that connection is made in everybody but if a child's had lots of stress, mm-hmm. lots of experience, lots of adverse childhood experiences, and there's a list of some awful ones, but uh, then they have to repeat that behavior so much it becomes their normal. Mm-hmm. And then they carry that into adulthood and don't even see that they've got those traits. It might bring them their finance. It might bring them all their success. It might bring them relationships. But it's so uh, driven that, it's a very fragile existence that if they identify with those things and those behaviors, if they lose those behaviors, oh, yes, that's so, such a threat to the organism. It's been their safety. That's how they've coped. Yeah. But if pain comes from overusing any one of these default behaviors, any one of them, and that can, that can end up being the comforting things are always dopamine based, oh. chocolate, food salt sugar pleasure quick pleasure gambling work uh, sense of achievement um sport achieving sport uh, se- uh well some mentioned sex gambling shopping. shopping any human behavior can be yeah. addictive if you listen to some of gabo mate's work so yeah it's all transit a transient pleasure mm-hmm. and if that's the default behavior that someone has to use during a very stressful time in the life Mm-hmm. The organism recognizes that that's too stressful. It's too full of these stressful chemicals. So yes. it defaults to use pain to distract that person. Oh. And the pain will appear in the, in the system that's been overloaded through its use. Could be the musculoskeletal system. 
someone yeah. doing for others, working too hard, pushing too hard to get relief from the emotion to feel about the situation, or it comes in the system that is being neglected. And that could be any system of the body. It could be the digestive system. It could be the cardiovascular system. It could be the immune system. It could be the, the kind of thinking brain system. Because all of those systems, when you're being chased by a lion, well, they're all, apart from the flush of inflammatory chemicals that come with the chase, those systems are shut down relatively. Yeah. And that's fine to escape the lion. Absolutely fine. But we shouldn't be chasing the lion every day and every night and every day and every night. Not everything's a lion. Exactly. But sometimes we start to, you know, especially being in fear and, and fear of the pain and that leading to catastrophizing, everything becomes like fight or flight and survival and creates those same hormones, right? Like as if we're being chased by a lion. Yeah. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy almost. Yeah. And that, yeah. A person can be made to think that they're to blame, and uh, uh, that's not true at all. It's not true at all. It's an these these patterns are wired in the unconscious part of the brain. Yeah, they start off as an impulse. So if you had some chocolate for the very first time, you'd feel an impulse. Mm. You don't have to tell yourself that's exciting. Mm. It's exciting straight away if you like chocolate or whatever your thing was you know yeah. but after a while if i give you 10 bars of chocolate so it felt routine it's wired in a different part of your brain it's, mm. it's the routine section now when dopamine's released that's the sense of pleasure if it's an impulse mm -hmm. but once it's in the routine section dopamine's still released but it doesn't trigger pleasure it triggers a compulsion to repeat the behavior uh. just to keep it going mm -hmm. uh, so the fascinating part when someone feels stressed, yeah, I am stressed about A, B, C, D, and E, is that um, dopamine is released in that part of the brain to produce the quickest behavior possible encoded for that person since whenever yeah. to overcome the stress response. And that's the behavior that triggers the stress. And that triggers more stress. Ah, uh, yeah. So that could be somebody who doesn't want to eat chocolate. I'm so sick of my body and the size I am. I really hate myself. I looked in the mirror. They feel stressed. Well, they're probably addicted to chocolate in the first place. So what do they feel compelled to do? Eat chocolate. So mine was work or mine was exercise. I was a professional footballer. So I was driven for years and years becoming that. And then when yeah. that ended... I've become pretty much obsessed with becoming a physio. Uh huh. I do my best at it, and uh, I am what I am. But I realise now I don't have to. I don't have to follow the compulsion. I can do what I want when I want. And now I've learned strategies that make me feel good about myself and help patients feel make them feel good about themselves. So they are less compelled to use their default behaviour. Doesn't yeah. matter what that behaviour is. And as soon as they start to do it, and know that they're not broken. The pain can go just like that. It is crazy when it happens. Mm. So you're not necessarily trying to get them to focus on their pain or changing anything with their pain. You're, how would you explain it? Focusing on the default behavior. So there's four components to it. Mm -hmm. Think, breathe, move and feel. Do you have children, Betsy? Mm -hmm. I do. I have four. 
Oh, I have four too. Yeah. And so we have, this is a common experience halfway around the world from each other. Yeah. Uh, a child will come to you, let's say the three or four, little child, yeah. and they come to you with an injury, a small injury that you're not too concerned about, a bust nose, a split lip, a grazed knee. Mm-hmm. And so they're thinking that um, they're going to die. Yeah, they have no idea what this means in the blood and this. they're yeah. thinking very catastrophic things. Yeah. They're breathing very, in a, in a sympathetic nervous system heightened state. They are very guarded with my arm, mommy, my arm. And they're feeling pain, mm-hmm. fear and pain. Think, breathe, move, feel. So what do you do intuitively? You look at him her close in the eyes that you're going to be okay mm-hmm. mommy mommy's going to help you get better you're going to be okay because you truly believe it yeah you true. truly believe it and you are the truth to that child you've told them a few lies that they deeply believe santa claus the tooth fairy the man in the moon it's the truth to them mm-hmm. they have no conscious thinking to question it Very so you true. tell them the truth and you believe it then you uh challenge each of the beliefs that might pop up yes mommy but what about the blood the blood's to clean the wound darling it has to bleed just to it has to bleed a little bit then we'll stop the bleeding but it stings Mm -hmm. well you've took the skin off and you ran too fast on the playground so pick your feet up that's the lesson we have to learn from that you're going to be okay what will happen they ask you about the future well mommy cut herself yesterday look i'm okay and i've got a scar when i was your age and i fell on the playground i'm okay you give them the future yeah. deep breath darling take a deep breath for mommy breathe with mommy i don't want to move now she has to trust you remember or he has to so you yeah. set a really small boundary just a little bit move a little bit for mommy just a little bit she'll yeah. have they have to take the step yeah they look for it and the pain's not the same they feel different now you still have to take them from off your knee to back where the injury happened mm. come on back to your friends you might want to cuddle them a bit longer, but you're not doing them any good. Get back on the bike, back to your friends. Mm-hmm. Come on, I'll watch. Off you go. Sometimes you have to be firm. Go on. You can do it. Mm-hmm. You watch them. I mean, go on. Take a deep breath. Move it a little bit. You mix and match. You're going to be okay. Think, breathe, move, feel. It's, yeah. it's intuitive. You don't, uh-huh. you don't think what you're going to say. You just say it. Uh-huh. And how much pain do they have five minutes later? Probably forgotten about it. Right. <laughs> So yeah. it's a perfect example that if you're a human, you've had that human experience mm-hmm. and you've had damage without pain and you can see what you, the four yeah. components that you used without ever being taught at school, these are lessons before school, that actually you just have to start to apply again. Mm-hmm. Now I'm, I've got to do the one that is, has the belief. I really believe they can do it because my experience is that they can. Yeah. And they have so- to... Do you have to trust me? Yeah. And they may not. What I say sounds quite different and they might push back at me and, and that's okay. That's yeah. okay. We've got to try and find the way in. But if yeah. they can't, if you can't find the thought process, teach them how to breathe. Okay. That's what I was going to ask with the think. There's a specific way of thinking here, right? Like you're not wanting them to just overthink and you're not wanting, you know, what is the thinking part of it? How would you describe that? Well, um, if it's fear-based that they're damaged, yes, they are, but that shouldn't cause persistent pain. And there's no proof of that. 
Yeah, if it's fear that's a damaged disc, it's fear that's it's arthritis, it's fear. Yes, those elements can cause pain, but they're amplified and uh, it persists because of the emotions that are maintained. They change the emotions around it, one being fear and two, frustration. Mm-hmm. The other ones will fall away anyway. And so if you can give them a moment to challenge their own beliefs, and if they're not ready for that, say, okay, well, that, that's fine. Just let, park it for a little while and then come with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you might get them to breathe for two minutes. Remember, the buy-in to this is tiny because they are so driven. The brain, often in this sub-section of patients, is so addicted to the stress response yeah. unconsciously right. that in the moment of fear or in a moment where you're, you're saying to the unconscious mind, you're going to take away that protection, mm-hmm. it'll do anything it can to maintain its sense of safety. Yeah. So sometimes you, drop, you, you need to leave the thinking and say, right, just um, breathe. So that, I don't know if you're familiar with the heart math, it's two minutes in, two minutes out, in through your nose, out through your nose. Okay, heart math. I've heard heart of math. it. Yeah. Heart math breathing technique. Is that your favorite? There's so many breathing techniques. So many, so many. It, yeah. it, it, the principle, Betsy, is that the, the breath out is longer uh-huh. than the breath in. And that helps engage the parasympathetic state, right? Yes. Yeah. That's it. That can be a physiological sigh. If I've been sobbing and yeah. if I've been yeah. sobbing and I went, uh-huh. it's a, that, a physiological sigh is a, that's another one from uh, Andrew Huberman. He's a neuroscientist. So there's lots of research around that. Oh, yeah. Essentially it's the out breath is longer than the in uh-huh. and you could do four foot square breathing. I like five in five out. Yeah. I just think it's, it's six breaths a minute. If you think the parasympathetic is maybe uh, well, if, if you or I were doing sport or we we're frightened or in a fight in somewhere, it'd be yeah. fast right. at work or me and you now, it's probably about 15, 12 to 15 breaths a minute. Okay. We're not wired. Probably a little bit tuned into what we're talking about because and maybe a little excited. I love this stuff. Why is bored of listening? To <laughs> but a bit wired. Yeah. But the, the breath rate below that uh, is six breaths a minute. And now that that's the mechanism that people don't tap into in pain because they go to sleep in pain, they wake up in pain. They worry about tomorrow, they regret it ever happened. So yeah. that mechanism of before and after, that's the kind of mechanism that occurs at the point of trauma, injury, overload. So when we should be recovering with care, love, attention, boundary setting, all from ourselves. Yeah. If we don't know those skills, if you've never been taught those skills, if you just never experienced them, or saw them, or parents who never used them, or theirs was kind of chin up, jog on. Yeah. Um, I shouldn't yeah. show my pain or my emotion. Is I better crack on despite it. So you've got an organism that's in fight or flight, and you've got the person using a stress response to cure the stress response. It'll never happen. Yeah. Chocolate will only make you feel good after the divorce. For the time you eat the chocolate. You'll yeah. soon be, you'll still be divorced the next morning and need two bars of chocolate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Two pints of lager or another spliff or another hard day at work or another run. Right. You often find, or I find in clinic, a patient said to me once, she said, I've just started running. And I said, How often have you been running? She said, Every day. I said, How long for? She said, As long as I can. 
I said, what are you running from? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting to think because yeah, sometimes people, it almost feels like part of them to be this achiever, to do well at work, to, you know, have this system in place for themselves. And yeah. It is so counterintuitive yeah. to ask yeah. them to go slow. Because their yeah. minds often think driving them. And they're so, because it's habitual, all they need is the cue. They just need the phone call from the granny and they're away. They need a phone call. They need to hear about work and they're at it. Mm -hmm. They need to see the chocolate, they eat it. Yeah. They need to uh, see the trainers and feel frustrated they can't go. Mm -hmm. it's their brain's on the lookout for it, I'm sure, right? Exactly. You know, your reticular activating system is going to be trying to find these things to back up what you believe. Of course. So belief underpins all of the behaviors. When the belief is really strong, that it's a damage-based basis for the pain, a name, a structure. They've had it for so long. Culturally, it's accepted. It means that they feel stuck. The, the fear becomes subconscious. The frustration becomes generally subconscious. And the fears and frustrations pop up occasionally. They'll feel so frustrated, they'll smash the barrier. Uh -huh. They won't feel any pain during the event. They're full of adrenaline. Yeah. You could run away from a lion with a broken leg. Yeah. If we were in the same room and a lion came in, you could pick me up, throw me in front of the lion. You jump over the lion, run through the front glass door without opening it. You get across the road and you wouldn't have any pain. Right. So yeah. they get through the event either because they really want to do it and they enjoy it or they really just kind of endure it. Mm -hmm. Once the event's over, you'll find they have the pain again back in the same place or even lower. The threshold even lower in terms of thresholds of the pain oh, more threshold yeah lower threshold and um so when you're asking these patients to buy into this with a thought a breathing pattern a movement or an emotion you can use any of those categories and that more or less covers all of the treatment um, approaches for persistent pain but the buy-in is uh you're asking them to create a habit of a non-destructive behavior Mm. habit for a non-destructive behavior so breathing quite slowly isn't very exciting mm -hmm. you don't get the immediate hit that you would if you sprinted yeah but their default for feeling better about themselves is to hit themselves hard what for pretty much everything in life yeah yeah so you're teaching them that what if i do if i do this uh small breathing technique this small movement this small thoughts these small emotional expression it's going to help mm. well, yeah well if i do it every hour will it help more <laughs> you have to you right have to. can i be perfect at it how can i overachieve it being the you best shine you shine that back and say can you see what you're asking me i say my favorite question from a patient when i say this is how often can i do it less right? Oh, right is more so you attach the yeah. behavior the new behavior where it's whether it's a thought where it's a really small movement and as a physical therapist physio you can say well this is safe and if they're not sure it's safe it's because they're so scared i say to them if a hundred people did this task yeah eight-year-old to 80 who'd be damaged by it damaged by it yeah and they wouldn't be Who'd feel pain? Well, someone who's had an injury within three months, so that makes sense. Yeah. And the only other person to feel pain would be someone who's primed. They believe that movement is moving an area of their body that's already threatened. Yeah. So subconsciously, they don't even have to think. They can predictively anticipate moving 
uh, a chair that is going to hurt the back. Yeah. So you have to uh, show them that put them in the safest place first to have those thoughts, have that breathing technique, have a movement that you might guide them with. Uh, that they can feel safe with or mm. that they can kind of be comfortable feeling the motion and you attach that to a cue so it might be running the bath for example or flipping the kettle so something they're already doing that's it's i was thinking maybe the cue would be pain but yeah the cue can be the pain okay if someone is so uh when someone has pain th that is a cue for automatic behavior yeah when someone's feel the pain, if it was me, let's say it's my neck pain and I'm chatting to you and I quickly go, this is, oh, my neck, it's gone again, Betsy, it's gone. It's my disc, it's spasming, it's trapped my nerve, it's it's down my arm, it's going down my arm. I'm not going to be able to work tomorrow. Oh my God, it's killing me. I'll have to phone Barbara. I'll say I can't do this for it. I've got, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I've got to get the shop and I'll have to go anywhere. It's killing me. I'm, I've gone. Yep, yeah. I've gone. Right. That was all automated, made up. I don't have those behaviors or traits. <laughs> but <laughs> but it, that's what happens. It feels so believable to someone like reality, like they wouldn't even know that it's know it. a habit. They'll act in the same way. They'll say the same words. Yeah. They'll say, my back pain comes on in the winter, or it's worse every Tuesday, yeah. or it's because of my genes. They're all just behaviors. Yeah. So much so that uh, if the weather was bad, and that person hadn't said a word, they've said it that many times when someone else comes in the room and say, how's your back? It's the snowing outside. I bet your back's bad. It's, yeah. it's, it's reinforced by family, friends, culture. So you can see how hard it is for some people to break that. Yeah. So when so they have the cue, what do they do? So the cue is, that says cue is pain. Okay. Is can, can they think differently in that moment? Mm -hmm. Can they breathe differently in that moment? Can they move differently in the moment? Or can they name the emotion behind it? Now, when someone's in pain, Betsy, it's a bit like if the head's in the lion's mouth and you're tapping them saying, oh, just calm down. It's okay. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Just breathe. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Right, right. Your children have been screaming, crying. And if you sat to them and said, you know, this is fine. You're going to be okay. And you walked away. Yeah. It wouldn't happen. Right. If you said, right, take some deep breaths. That might be enough to okay. start the process. But unless you tell them to move their arm, say, come and move your arm for mommy, you need to find your way in with who that person is. Mm -hmm. If someone's sobbing, you're checking there's nothing physical. You're saying, who's upset you? Mm -hmm. You're going for the emotional. Mm -hmm. And then you might say, oh, well, uh, let's, say, let's say a girlfriend broke up with me when I was a kid. Didn't happen very often, but, you know, if it did. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. <laughs> you had a friend. My mum would say, oh, uh, you're better than them. Mm. There's more fish in the sea. Yeah. And uh, I never liked her anyway. Yeah, yeah. Now, if that happened again in the future and I feel the pain of that, I deal with that, I express the emotion of that and saying, well, I never liked her anyway. Mm -hmm. I'm better than her. <laughs> and yeah. there's more fish. So uh, it depends whether you think breathe, move or feel. You've got to start where you feel comfortable. So when someone's in pain, yes, then they can apply the, the strategies, but when you're learning them, you learn them in the safest place mm -hmm. possible. And that's about setting a boundary for that person. Say, they'll say, pain, I've got, uh, Drew, I've got pain all day long. I say, well, that's okay. 23 hours, 58 minutes. 
to be that. All I want is two minutes and you're going to breathe as you're in the bath. You're going to lay on the bed in pain. But you're just going to breathe for two minutes. Yeah. And you're going to reward yourself as you do it. Reward yourself. And well done, Betsy. Well done, mm-hmm. Betsy. And mm-hmm. you're going to... Um, so the brain then sees the bath tap. Mm-hmm. It uh, knows that what's coming next could be something pleasurable. Mm-hmm. But it isn't uh, overloading to the organism. So there's an inherent desire for you to do it. As soon as you reward yourself, yes, Betsy, mm-hmm. well done. That triggers the dopamine release for uh-huh. something that is non-destructive. Yes. Okay. So the next time you run the bath, mm-hmm. the brain anticipates what's coming next and starts to re- release dopamine before you've done the activity it compel starts to compel you to do the non-destructive behavior okay uh, once you see the effect of that wow it starts mm-hmm. to feel liberated now the change if you get the right one for people yeah right fear that's disappeared the rest fall into place as soon as i'm not scared my arms drop down mm-hmm. you ask me how i feel i feel better and all you said to me, Drew, is there's no such thing as boogeyman. Right. Yeah. It's- now, if it depends, doesn't it? It depends how we connect. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I like to move. I like to think. I like to, I love the breathing. I don't like the emotional stuff. It, it, <laughs> but, but that's just me. I, I'm, I'm tapping into this because I have to say to patients, so this might be a better starting point for you than for me. But if you can learn, I have a, a patient who drive from Middlesbrough to London and you get back pain, uh, leg pain all the way there. Mm-hmm. And he said, I've spent £30,000, Drew. That's about $40,000 over the last 16 years. And uh, chasing the physical yeah. resolution of it. And I said, he said, I, 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 can't, I can't get it. I can't, I've tried everything. And what you're saying sounds right, but... How can it be? Are you sure there's nothing physical? And I said, well, yeah, there's a physical element, but can you see it's your frustration? Yes. So now as he's driving to London, as the pain comes on, he slaps his leg and says, that's my frustration. The pain goes away. The pain disappears. Yeah. Because he names the emotion. Yeah. He names the emotion and he now laughs. He laughs where he used to cry. And once you laugh where you used to cry, you're attaching a different emotion to the same cue. Mm-hmm. Cues will always be there, Betsy. Right. There'll always be a pub to walk past for an alcoholic. Yeah. There'll always be a chocolate biscuit tin for those of us that really feel compelled to have a chocolate biscuit when we shouldn't. Right. As soon as you see the cue, you start to put your hand in when your conscious mind's saying, don't do it. Mm-hmm. And if you offer your brain a choice to say, it could feel better just to do this instead, Mm-hmm. that moment of choice is the root out of uh, the cycle okay this sounds a lot like tiny habits by bj fogg where he uh, talks about tiny exactly that and then a reward well he uh, <laughs> i read his book as part of the behavior science and atomic habits and atomic habits he is a student of bj fogg actually oh, okay and uh, charles Duhigg which is another habit book, The Power of Habit, The Power of Habit by, they all say the same stuff. Same thing, okay. And BJ Fogg kind of says, emotion is the thing that creates habits, not repetition. Ah, 
So right. having an emotion that you're feeling on purpose, like a, a powerful emotion. Yes. And if it's so powerful, that's the epiphany that changes it in the immediate. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's the opposite emotion to one was attached. So right. if it's not that exciting, this breathing or this new movement or this new expression of emotion or these new thoughts, you have to reward the brain each time you use that neural pathway. Mm-hmm. And just saying, good job, that can do it. You can just congratulate yourself. You say, say a name in the third person. You know, well done, Betsy. Well done, yeah. Drew. That's amazing, Drew. You did it in your head. Uh, seven to ten reps is BJ Fogg's kind of predict or sort of work. Um, but if you can invest the emotional intensity in it, it's almost I, because I used to play football, I, I could double fist and go, yes, yeah. get in there, and it wires so quickly. It wires so quickly like that. Um, but if you can get someone to breathe, that feels so nice. Or if you give us some momentary relief of pain. So if if I did a small movement like lumbar rotations or knee rolls, if they're laid on the back, and I'll get the patient to tell me about the children's names and uh, the grandchildren and uh, what they're doing in the summer. So I'm getting to move in a way that's towards the area of danger, but in a very small range. But you start to attach pleasant thoughts to that movement without them realizing Mm -hmm. it's not overtly manipulating them because they're happy for you to do the movement but then you say tell me about your your holidays coming up tell me about the best holiday in your life yeah it's fascinating tell me about the best holiday in your life and you start to move them in a way that was and they've already saw the breathing and uh then say just show me that range again and it starts to change immediately amazing amazing so (laughs) once you show them a change i say well nothing's healed in 10 minutes right yeah the structure yeah if anything you would think it would get worse exactly and there's lots of analogies that you and i'll use to say well that doesn't make sense and there was no trauma and how was you paying this much after six months when you just bent over to pick up a sock there's loads of analogies like that but the habit formation for someone who's very driven is um sometimes start without pain in bj's uh bj fogg's book he says, put your feet on the floor and say, this, today's going to be an amazing day. Mm-hmm. Today's going to be an amazing day. And I've got some patients who just started like that. Yeah. And in the book, he says he didn't, he, because he's not trained in that, he says he doesn't know if it'd work with kind of medical situations, but I know it does. And it's from yeah. that, I thought, oh gosh, you can apply this in the, in the medical setting. If you can thoroughly examine someone and know that the structural basis of the, uh, pain is relevant mm-hmm. but not a driver of persistent pain you can explain that confidently and calmly in a reassuring way yes and that might help with the beliefs you don't have to go into the neuroscience P- pain neuroscience education has its place for those that need to know it but it's too it's the wrong level for a lot of people and that's why the results for that are varied everyone can breathe for two minutes independent of what level of pain they're in yeah. And because and they're breathing anyway. So yeah. can they slow their breathing? Yes. And can they be coached? Yes. So that could be a start. Can someone move in some way? Yes. And if they can't, imagine a movement seven to 10 times. Yes. That's imagine incredible. it. And that's all the graded imagery. And there's lots of research oh, for that and that. graded motor imagery. So start with that. Yeah. And if they can't start there, 
Uh, start with emotion, somatic tracking is another technique. Alan Gordon, I'm sure you're aware of, and George Yolfield, who has the Serper in the UK. There's some lovely audios with that. So there's so many places to start. Mm -hmm. but you only have to see the tiniest little bit of success. And then if they see that, then I can't follow them around. Neither can you. They have to feel compelled or the impulse to do it again yeah. at a time of the day that's safe. Mm -hmm. In an environment may not be safe or, or stressful, but they have to find that moment. And once they can uh, develop that, then they can start to put the head closer in the lion's mouth if it still exists. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times it doesn't exist because it's the past and it doesn't exist because it's the future. And if they can deal with any current stressors and if pain was the main one, they start to deal with that, their life comes back. Yes. What a beautiful thing. Well, it I'd is. love to hear how you're working with patients now and if people want to get a hold of you and your book. How do they find you? Uh, well, uh, the, all, the book's on um, uh, on Amazon and it's an ebook, paperback and an audio book. I'm, uh, I'm, ju I'm just a small town physio in the northeast of England. <laughs> I'm starting to do some, uh, some online work. Um, it is only open to the UK and European clients just for insurance purposes, I, I'm afraid. But uh, there's, listen, there's loads of people all over in your you're someone that uh, I'm sure you can help with people your side of the pond, Betsy. I've, I've seen all your stuff and the content's the, it's the same as mine. It's yeah. a different spin on it. Yeah. It's really spreading the word that people can recover from yes. persistent pain. They can keep the origin of that story as a memory. They can keep the scars from it and celebrate them as a life lived. And maybe if it was an unfortunate experience that brought that well maybe something to be learned from but they don't have to keep the pain for the rest of the life and that isn't something that's easy to believe and it isn't always an easy journey but uh, to step through the fear uh, of step through the pain in a way that's uh, gentle and not forcing the organism mm -hmm. to accept that change is so much worth it because mm -hmm. what's on the other side is 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 it's, it's wonderful to see. That is such a beautiful process. It sounds like I think sometimes people are resistant to having to get into all the emotions and having to, you know, they anticipate, they have so much fear about how hard it's going to be and how painful, but it really sounds beautiful the way you describe, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, each it's individualized to the person and what they're needing in the moment and kind of going in whichever door, is you know kind of most accessible yeah and i think um I, I i don't always think you have to look backwards to go forward my dad uh told me and i remember this his dad a couple of years ago but he said to me son you the only thing you get from looking back is a stiff neck and um yeah. and i think it's you know you you can acknowledge the past and you you can do some work going back over if you want but you don't have to with this process you just start the behaviors acknowledge them change the behaviors now and deal with the the current stress is the best way you can. And uh, I don't know if you did the Howard Schubiner course a few months yes. ago. Yeah, and uh, he's such a compassionate man, far more than I ever th thought I 
could be and I think I'm not bad but when I listened to him I thought wow what a wise man mm -hmm. and he said something within that course that just kind of pause makes me pause sometimes in my excitement to help people he says you know we've got to meet them where they're at which is a kind of common statement uh, but he finished it and he said but and we've got to love them anyway got to love them mm -hmm. anyway whether we believe what we say or the job we've still got to love them I thought wow wow Otherwise, we just get frustrated because they're not believing what we say. But if you yes. can love them and say, well, yeah. it's okay. if you're not ready, you're not ready. And you don't even have to say that. It's not right. for us to judge whether someone's ready or not. Um, and so that compassionate view that he had, I thought, oh, well, you know, reserve your excitement, write it all, spread what the word you can in the way you spread it and let other people investigate these mechanisms so that maybe the science supports them even more in the future. But for right. now, I think we've got enough to run with. Right. And it's yeah. It's an exciting journey to be on. Yes. Uh, and I think it'll allow you and me, hopefully, to prevent uh, ever entering the persistent pain cycle again, or if never, not at all. But uh, And it's nice to help others maybe reverse it for, for their experience. Yeah. It's such a message of hope, I think, for people who haven't had a lot to be hopeful about maybe for years. So it is... Yeah amazing what giving them the permission to believe something different can do in changing the results in their life yeah it's a paradigm shift yeah. and it uh, uh, it's nice for the patients to do it and and if the time colleagues of yours and mine and the wider medical community this this message will 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 kind of spread i'm sure yes well, awesome. Thank you so much for your time. So great talking to you. I thoroughly enjoyed it and learned so much from you. So we'll keep in touch, I'm sure. Yeah, thanks, Betsy. I'm going to make sure I keep following your content because I love it. Ah, likewise. I did, first, I did my first reel yesterday. I thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to have a go at that because I've watched a lot oh, of yeah. yours. Uh -huh. They're fun. They are fun, right? And it's a fun way to present information with music and, you know, in a different way than just reading a paragraph. Yeah, actually, it is. It's more interactive and people, well, your characters, your personality comes across in that and you're very likable, laughable, and you see you want to help people mm -hmm. and uh, that straight away, you don't have to say anything. It just right. comes across, doesn't it? And I'm sure that'll attract clients to come and, and get the help they can off you. So yeah, uh, you've inspired me. Well, great. I'm glad to hear that. Likewise, you've inspired me so much as well. So great work. Keep it up. Yeah, All right. Take care. Have a good rest Don't of your day. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned a little bit about your brain today that helps you in your life like it helped me. Please be sure and subscribe and leave a review. And of course, be sure and share this podcast with someone you know that wants an unstoppable body and mind.